0: Previously on Off the Spectrum,
1: you know the first incident um, was was a shock, um, full of all sorts of unexpected consequences.
2: Honestly, um, as a black person in the part of the community, I wasn't surprised. I know that this community um, has uh, like racist thoughts, and there are some people in this community who are racist, and we just don't call them out.
3: Yeah, it's going to be going to be a tough task. So. You know, working with Concord District Court, um, this district district attorney, so she said she's gonna be able to work on that case um, between the two courts and see what she can kind of put together um, and see if, you know, Arizona will work with us as far as putting um, some kind of a charge or complaint together against this uh, this individual.
4: I think whether it was perpetrated by somebody in Arizona or Italy, doesn't make a difference because we still continue to have this problem um, in our town, so it's still A very glaring problem needs to be addressed. From the high school student-led newspaper,
0: it's off the spectrum. I'm Sophie Zhang. We're at part two of our racial incident series, The Response. The attack had profound effects on our community. So we asked our interviewees about the impacts they've seen so
1: far. So I, I, to answer your question, um, uh, you know there there have been negative consequences, of course, um, but there's there's also been really positive um, things that have come out of this, and I, I think that um, you know one of the negative things, of, of course, has been um, just you know these things are painful. It's it's really um, it's it's painful to. Um, To have to endure that to begin with but then to have to do it in public is just, it's hard. uh, There's nothing easy about it. Um, And I would say that um, the aftermath of it all has been a negative consequence too. There's just been so much time dedicated (laughs) to, um, you know, to to dealing with this. Um, And and so those are all, those are all the negatives, right? but the but the good that has come out of this has been the wonderful outpouring of support um, that I've received from from students like you and students younger than you. Uh, we've we've received uh, both Evelyn and I have received um, emails from students in the junior high school, which is just it's it is is really overwhelming, um, and and. Many of your teachers and and the faculty and the leadership of the school district, um, I, I've heard from so many people, and I, I had no idea how many people um, in our community, you know, know my name and 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 care about me very sincerely. Um, I, I didn't know that until this moment, and that is a positive thing. Well,
5: I think it's brought some real sadness. You know, I think there's a lot of people that like to believe that this community is different than maybe what's going on nationally, maybe what's going, what goes on in in other communities, but it's here. And so I think that, you know, that realization brings sadness, it brings anger. um, But I think ultimately what it has to bring is, is change. And I think it has to bring knowledge and, it has to bring education to, to all of us. So I, I think this is a good place for us to start doing the hard work of acknowledging that it exists here and looking at all of the ways in which um, we can change that and, and hopefully eradicate it.
6: Just the simple fact that we've now seen if, if people, um, you know, people within Acton and Boxborough didn't think that there was that kind of racism. In our community, now they've seen it, now they've heard it, and now they can't deny it. And I think that that's you know really important. I mean, when I think back to um, some of the comments on this during the school committee meeting where the 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 hate crime took place, um, you know, it it struck me that some of the people's responses within that meeting were, "I've never heard something you know so terrible. I've never heard something so hateful." Um, you know, in my response to that, in my own white female brain, right. Um, is well, right. Because that kind of hate crime has never been directed at you, but that doesn't mean that it's the people's, you know, the people who are suffering through that hate crime. Now it's not their first time and it won't be their last. Right. Um, and and I think that as horrible as that incident was and, 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 even that the second incident was. Um, my hope is that for those people who might have believed that that didn't exist with an Acton in Boxborough now do, and now find that they can find a role for themselves in working on anti-racism within both communities. Um, that would be my hope. <laughs>
0: one thing to keep in mind when discussing the incident is the timing after a summer with black lives matter protests as well as the changing of ab's mascot there have been multiple strides for social justice on a national and local level we asked our interviewees how these events affected their response to the incident
4: well you know um i think it's really easy um, to become discouraged and overwhelmed by everything that's happening, both on a local and a national level. And um, I think by the white supremacy that um, it has been plaguing our country uh, for so long. Um, white supremacy um, that was most recently laid bare right before all of our eyes uh, with the attacks on the Capitol. Um, however, you know, we can't lose hope because if we lose hope, it's just another way we're giving up. Um, so, what do we do? We focus on our own sphere of influence here at the high school, um, working hard to raise awareness of systemic racism um, and encouraging continued conversations that lead um, to not only greater understanding but to restorative justice as well. You know, the capital attacks and how it and other incidents like it uh, that were caught on tape, such as the the murder of George Floyd, open I think many eyes in the country to the uh, tragedy of racism here in the United States. And I believe that this attack on our two school committee leaders has had the same impact here in our own little community of Acton-Boxborough. Uh, and I really do think that more and more of us are becoming mobilized to stand up um, because of what we're seeing uh, nearby at the local level and all around us at the national level
7: who have years of laws and who has access, who has protection, who has an upper hand, you know, it's all embedded in our history. And we need to understand fully, which I am just at the beginning of my journey, frankly, our history, the laws, who, you know, how many years um, are the founding of this country? Um, And, you know, we have evolved somewhat and also we have we are at, we are at the very beginning stages so um how how did something like this happen at the school committee i mean I, I i don't know in terms of the actual hate crime the actual incident but if you look through history and you look through who who has power who doesn't have power um all along the way the more i learn the more things become clear of, oh, that's, that's how that happened. That's how certain neighborhoods um, became what they are. That's everything. Everything is tied to policy.
8: I mean, I think that racism is just inherent because we're in the United States of America. It's like through history, we've seen racism and it, we've never really confronted it in the way that we needed to with enough people mobilizing to fight that. And so I think in Acton, we've never explicitly disavowed racism and actively worked against it together. Um, And so it's been here. It's just, it's been under the surface and kind of bubbling up every so often. Um, And I think the mascot discussion and the removal of the mascot exposed how hard it is for people to believe and listen to and respect opinions of people of color. Their testimonies were kind of torn apart and questioned. And there was a lot of, well, how is it harmful? How is a mascot harmful?
0: Although the attack originated from outsider community, There are still many instances where the ABRSD community has seen racism and prejudice. We asked our interviewees how the environment in this district has played a role in the behaviors we've seen in our community in the past couple of years.
1: We are a town full of caring people, right? I think that it's revealed that a lot of us are listening When our neighbors are speaking, there have been other meetings and instances where where um, neighbors have been able to share their stories and, and neighbors have been able to affirm those stories. And I think that what we've learned is that there are some of our white neighbors who have been listening to their neighbors of color. And they simply haven't known what to do or what to say after they've heard about a racist incident. And so, you know, here we are, and, and they're, they're speaking up and they're affirming what they've heard. And they're saying, like, yes, I, you know, these are the things that I've witnessed and I care about this. And, you know, you, you can't say that racist things haven't happened in Acton. This is what I know, and this is what I've seen, and this is what I've heard. And, and I, I think that that revelation is really, really important. Um, because it can be a, a building block for the rest of where we go from here. And I hope that it continues. I hope that when people of color speak in this town and say, a thing has happened to me, that our neighbors of all colors, you know, listen with open ears and open hearts. And that then when the time comes and someone says, you know, we're a great town and nothing bad happens here, that they're brave enough and they're, they're empowered enough to say, actually, this is what I know to be true.
0: What do you think is empowering these community members to speak out now?
1: I think that we have um, really wonderful leadership in town that's been kind of infusing the town with tools for years. So um, AB United Way and Fostering Racial Justice Group. And, you know, now we have uh, Racial Justice for Black Lives. Um, uh, We have leadership at Congregation Beth Elohim. We have leadership in the different um, congregations, just the different church communities that have been slowly but surely doing the book clubs and doing the talks and um, having the small groups and and fostering these conversations and then as national stories have come into our consciousness the bookstore made sure that that uh, mr. Kennedy's book was was front and center right and and they sold out it was crazy right so people have been reading and people have been talking they've been those little conversations that are powerful but but in safety, because it's with people that we trust and we know and we love. And now suddenly this was the moment to apply the theory, like to finally apply the theory and people have been able to do it. They, they felt like they have the voice to do that.
4: Um, So I think the big thing is that we're seeing a really big change in demographics here in our community in the four years that I've been here, I've seen the change. Um, And these demographic changes, I think, are incredible. They're incredibly positive. But I think that it's really hard for everybody to accept the diversity in the community. I think some members of the community are having a hard time with that.
5: I think that that's a human instinct to be wary of change. And I think that um, we don't have a large population of parents and students in this community. I mean, even though it feels like the schools are the center of everything. Um, The actual percentage of of families that fall into the school age category is very small compared to the broader community in both Acton and Boxborough. But I think that the diversity of our two communities is is not a reality that everyone experiences. So I think that people who have lived here for a long time who may not have kids in the system aren't aware of the reality of what Acton and Boxbro look like now, especially the younger generations. It's important that people see that these are the kinds of things that black and brown families live with in our community. I don't think that these are isolated incidents. And while they may have been more uh, public and more visible and more directed, that they are, we have heard from lots of members of our community that this is a reality that they live with in our communities. I don't think that, that Acton and Boxborough are racist communities, but I do think there are racists within our communities. And I think that, you know, racism is, can be really narrowly defined, but I think we need to broad, we need to broaden that definition so that people can understand that some of the policies, some of the things that we say, um, you know, are, are hurting other members of our, our community and that it isn't always such a welcoming place to be. And so, um, you know, my hope is that, that this as ugly as these incidents have been, that they've brought this into, into the spotlight so that we can acknowledge it and that we can really more effectively deal with it.
6: To me, AB was like, just this perfect place with all my friends and, you know, people that are kind of serve serving as like my second family. Um, and while that is still true, you know, I think I had kind of idealized this place and this group of people, right. And, and going back to a place that you've idealized and then having this, as I mentioned before, show up in your backyard, you know, having racism show up in your home, so to speak. Um, is shocking and hurtful and angering, right? And while that's all true, that doesn't make me think that the people of Acton and Boxborough are racist people. I know that's not true. That doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist, however, right? Um, and so, what I think it affirms about my belief is that about Acton and Boxborough, we have incredibly thoughtful, caring, kind, engaged students who, you know, are willing to form groups like AbSedge and form, you know, form group groups like the Black Student Union to help work towards having a more equitable school system and district. And, and it affirms my belief that we have the same in our teachers and our staff.
7: This was something where a larger group of people would be able to notice and say, you know actually racism is prevalent it's happening blatant it's under you know it it's happening in many areas and so for the group in ecares and and for myself i would say that that was we we know that systemic racism is a is a thing and so um but and hopefully others as we're learning about it are are joining in that understanding as well so who gets suspended, for what, for why, what that, you know, there's some disparity on who at the high school. Um, And we're not unique. And unfortunately, we are, we are very much um, in, in a, in a pattern where more um, black and brown students tend to get suspended. um, And we very much mirror the, the numbers across the country. So those are sort of two things that right for right now, we are looking at. Um, and then with um, the community outreach group that I'm a part of, we've partnered with a racial justice organization in Acton in Boxborough, helping to co-lead a book discussion group on uh, the, the Kendi book that we all read, the whole faculty read over the over the summer. So trying to draw in the community and really partnering with that. And then also thinking about perhaps a mentoring program where students in the high school uh, can have mentors who look more like them or have some of the same experiences, and, and trying to facilitate having some of those connections happening.
9: But I and I don't think that that is necessarily any sort of specific accusation of people in AB. I think that that unfortunately um, we have you know our country has a long history that is you know, clearly coming to roost this month. And, you know, I think it's, I think rather than feeling, rather than having white people feel personally attacked, the hope would be that they would say, okay, you know, this is something that we have to address and, and, and kind of reframe it instead of, you know, find a way to be more uncomfortable that people are getting hurt than you are uncomfortable that, you know, people are implying that, you might be doing something that's hurtful. Until you have a a significant enough number of people that experience racism, it's very hard for the people that do experience it to speak up, especially when they do speak up and they are met with people arguing that, you know, oh, you must have misunderstood the situation. I think that um, people who experience racism know very well exactly what it is and what they experience. And it's I think the majority of time it's brought up to white people or to leadership, it tends to, it tends to be kind of brushed aside as, as you know, a misunderstanding. And um, I think white people need to do a better job of really listening and trying to understand and assuming that, that the targets of racism know exactly what they're experiencing.
10: All right, so you mentioned in your form that you're raising an Ethiopian child. If you're comfortable sharing, how has this altered your experiences with racism at AB?
9: The concept of microaggressions where people say things that are sort of a, a racial slight or, or are nuanced um, implication of stereotypes. It, you know, the word microaggression really doesn't touch the effect of that. It's, you know, I've seen, in my own child, these, the effects of these sorts of slights are cumulative and, and really erode self esteem, self confidence, comfort with even leaving the house. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say one example in particular we went to um, the coffee shop in Acton, and there was a father, a white father, and a white daughter looking, they looked adorable watching, you know, sitting by the exit. Um, and I brought my daughter in as, as we were leaving, I, she was about the same age as the little white girl. And the father glared at my daughter, like hatefully glared at her to the point that both of us, when we walked out, when we got out, we, we looked at each other and, you know, kind of had to confirm from with each other. Like, did we just see that. you know She was probably eight. It was just an absurd thing to happen. But those sorts of things happen every day in so many different ways. When you see people like Kira and Evelyn um, having strength and confidence and taking a leadership role and making it clear that we will not stand for this. And, and they work so hard to to communicate beautifully to the board of selectmen and, and other leaders that this is an important issue, and here's the impact, and here's why we're not going to stand for this, and they demand change, and for, I mean, for children to see, to see people that look like them stand up for themselves, it's, I I can't praise that experience enough, how, how powerful that is for, for my daughter.
8: So, I am Indian. Um, I was born in the US, so I've never actually lived in India, uh, but both of my parents are immigrants. And I think I like to talk about my identity in terms of kind of proximity to power. Um, and so like in the US, white folks have had the power. And so I think about it as proximity to whiteness. So language, I speak English, so it's closer to the whiteness. Um, then I think about like accent, colorism, all these different things. And so being Indian, yes, I am darker skinned. I have experienced racism, but I don't have an accent. I speak English. And so all of these things have allowed me to kind of navigate systems easier when they're designed for white folk. And so I think at AB, I mean, we do have a pretty big Indian Asian population. And so I would say I never felt like a minority but I definitely noticed smaller things. Like, in I think in kindergarten, I came home and told my parents I would no longer call them Amma and Appa, and I had to call them Mom and Dad, because I felt like I was being made fun of. Um, I hated bringing Indian food to school, like at lunch, because um, I just felt pressure to fit into the white norm. But I also, I think it's important to differentiate the type of racism that I experience and anti-Blackness are country was founded in creating race to put black folks down at the bottom of the totem pool and so like that's wrapped up in our nation's history and so there is racism towards indian people there is racism towards chinese folks but it functions really differently and so I, I did watch a lot of racism towards black and hispanic kids at our school and i think that's what was even more frustrating than my own experiences i didn't really process that I was dealing with racism till, quite honestly, like this summer when I started to reflect on my own experiences as a person of color. So,
10: Yeah, so you've talked a lot about how like power and white characteristics sort of go hand in hand. So based on that, why do you think it's important that we see people of color in power more often?
8: I think that there is a historical stereotype of people of color being at the bottom of the totem pole, like I said. Um, and I think that seeing folks of color disrupts that, that norm or that expectation. Um, and I think especially for young kids of color, it's so important to see people that look like you that aren't just doing the little jobs that are actually in power and have the ability to make bigger decisions. Because I don't think we've seen that a lot. And it's not a lack of capability. It's just all the other systems you have to navigate in order to get there. And so I think it's so important for kids to have that kind of reflection of themselves, of people in power. And I would like us to be able to break down this power dynamic based on skin color. That's so much bigger than just me. Um, but I think it's incredibly important in moving forward.
10: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I know I've definitely seen some comments on Facebook saying like, oh, AB's not a racist community in this incident does not reflect on everyone, what would your response to that be?
8: Yeah, I've definitely seen those. Um, and it's a little bit frustrating, right? Because I, I understand the sentiment towards it or behind it of, I don't want that to reflect on me or my community. Um, but at the end of the day, it does. It happens here, it happens here, and it will happen here. And although you might not individually feel like you're being racist, it's happening everywhere, and you might be acting racist and you don't even know it. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing where, if that energy was put towards better supporting Kieran Evelyn, figuring out different avenues of prevention in the future, it would be more impactful than saying, Oh, but this isn't a racist community. I understand it's hard to kind of comprehend all the various ways that racism rears its ugly head, but I think it's a waste of energy to be arguing about whether our town is racist because we see the racism happening. I've heard from a lot of parents of color in Acton and Boxborough that they've never really wanted to speak up about it because they came here to get their kids an education and they're not going to put that in danger by speaking out about this, just in case there are repercussions. And so I think people just don't feel supported when they, when they are so vocal about these instances. And I think also it's really, truly difficult for white people to understand what it feels like to experience it. And so when we have primarily or all white leadership, who are the people who really are going to be taking actions against this on a bigger scale it's hard for them to understand why it's important right because right now we have covid we have a whole pandemic going on and i understand there are other priorities but this was a time where people forced folks to to take this seriously i mean i understand that being in positions of power is never easy there's always stuff going on But I feel like this is the first time that our town has truly prioritized working against racism.
0: While it is important to understand the root causes to prejudice and racism in our community, it is crucial to formulate plans to encourage inclusivity and diversity in our community. We asked our interviewees the ways they've responded to the incident and the ways the organizations they are a part of have responded to the attack currently.
1: I can't speak um, to the ongoing work of the school committee, but what I can tell you is that um, you know, there is a lot going on in the background, I- including um, that diversity, equity, and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion family advisory. That's what it is, <clears throat> which brings together um, a whole cohort of parents um, from across our district um, from all sorts of different backgrounds um, to talk about um, issues facing their families and facing our district as a whole um, and to ask questions of the administration um, and even other stakeholders around town. Um, And so uh, that's really important because it, it will, again, it's just a, another collaborative voice in, in the work um, that the district is doing. Um, there, are, there are policies around making sure that we uh, hire educators that reflect our student body. Um, there are, you know, there, the, the word equitable um, and inclusive are, are words that are our North Star at the moment. We really are asking questions about these things Um, We are really thinking um, holistically about these words and and what they mean for our students and how can we infuse them into all of our thinking. Um, You know, and and I think that um, what can sometimes be frustrating is that um, we're looking for that, like, instant fix.
3: When you investigate a hate incident of any sort, um, once you can be able to identify the offender. Um, we sit there and we have to say, well, what age group are they in? Are they below 18? Because that makes them a juvenile. Um, and if so, we have to take that to a different court, right? We have to go to Framingham Juvenile Court, which is a different district than Concord. Um, we sit there and say, listen, you know, we try to educate people. We, The goal is to make our victims um, you know, hole as much as we can hole again. When something like this happens to them, it digs a hole in them. And we try to say, how can we make this uh, a little bit better? And that's just a program for people primarily under the age of 18. And, and they have to admit that they did it. So that's the biggest thing. And we're gonna offer them not to go to court in punitive results. We want them to say, listen, I did that and, and this is why. So we try to use that process to help people understand they have to go through a process. I'd recommend you do community service. I'd recommend that you go visit a library or read a book about culture, write a paper about it, give me an apology letter. We'd ask them to do all these things within the course of three months. If they complete it, they don't go to court. Or, or as a result, we have a final circle where they get to explain what they learned through those three months, why they did what they did, why they would not do it again, and, and often the apologies there. So that's what we try to do for our residents here in town. It's much harder than going to court. I mean, to be completely honest, you go to court, the judge says, um, you know, be well, do community service, off you go. This one is three months. It's writing papers. It's doing research. It's studying. It's meeting with people. It's checking in once a week. Bigger process. But we're giving people an opportunity to to be educated, giving victims a chance to feel like they're part of the process, which is what we want. And uh, it's keeping people out of court because kids make mistakes and we understand that. Our role is to, one, make sure that our victims feel safe, right? So that would be rule one. We know a crime is committed. We're gonna we're gonna contact you and say, um, how do you feel about your safety? You know, And you may say, listen, I don't feel that safe. I feel like someone targeted me, so I don't know why. We'll send police cruisers by your house uh, regularly, not to knock on your door, but just to observe the area, let people know that we're there. Um, another thing is I'll follow up with you and say, listen, I know you're going through a frustrating time. I know this is very difficult for you. And could there be any other counselor, therapy, psycho, anyone that could maybe help you, someone in social work, someone that could help you out through tough times, someone who does a little bit different than what police work do, someone that might make you understand um, ways to kind of cope with this, right? So maybe even connect you to another organization that has gone through something similar to you, one of the police roles. What, what additional resource that uh, will help you through this incident? Along the way, we're gonna continue to provide these updates to you and tell you where we are in that process. Um, if someone was arrested as a result, say it was a domestic charge uh, or some kind of incident, you know, if they were released from, from prison, I would call you and say, listen, they're coming out today. Let's come up with a safety plan. You and I would discuss what a safety plan looks like, what we should do with your cell phone, what your family members should know, where you park your car, do you have gas, all these kind of things that we try to do. This is what we want to do as police. We want to be your number one resource. We want to be approachable. We want you guys to say, I don't know where else to turn. So let me just call detective Mike. Yes. If that's your answer to everything that's going on, that's perfect, that's what we wanna do. I'm not gonna have all the answers, I'm caught, but What I'll try to do is connect you to the right people because that's what my job is to do, is create a network. That's the police's role in all the hate crimes, regular crime, it doesn't matter. We're here as a resource to the town. We want you guys to come to us to say, listen, we want some help. Um, and, and if people aren't comfortable with police, which is fine, I, I get that. Maybe I wasn't as a kid either. Um, if you just wanted me to come by your house and talk to you or come by the station and visit, we welcome it. I want you, if you, your brother, sister, somebody in your family, your parents aren't comfortable. Um, you know, my job is to kind of understand culture. My job is to kind of understand backgrounds.
4: Yeah. So um, I mentioned Ms. Baker earlier um, as our, you know, she's our associate principal. She's a member of our administration obviously um, and a founding member of eCares, um, but she's someone who the rest of us um, in eCares turn to for guidance and Um, support and inspiration. So, um, and she and other members of the administration um, developed a statement to the community. Um, They also uh, had an uh, open drop-in meetings uh, for students um, both during the day uh, and during uh, an absence meeting, AB students for equity and justice as well, who've been doing a lot of work in this realm And then also, she and Mr. Dory hosted a virtual assembly um, um, on, I think it was the day before uh, we left um, for break. So, um, from the perspective of the Student Voice Subcommittee, you know, we're going to continue to encourage improved communication to the students about these incidents. um, And, you know, in terms of what happened and, and the school's response, that's definitely something that. Um, you know, we're hoping to improve. I think what the hate incident does or the hate crime is it lends even greater urgency to the work that we're doing. So it doesn't really change it, it just makes it more glaring. and, uh, And so we hope that, you know, through these four areas that we're focusing on with our subcommittees, that we're raising awareness, providing, you know, education about the important issues of race Equity and social justice here in our school and in the community. Um, and, you know, by working on several projects simultaneously with many hands on deck, because now there are 25 of us in eCares, right? There are 10 of us in the steering committee and 15 um, in the subcommittees, that we're hoping that we'll be able to reach many more people in the school and in the greater community. And I'll add that eCares is open for any and all faculty and staff to join. So hopefully we'll have more growth down the road as well.
5: We reached out to, to law enforcement, you know, right away. Uh, both uh, police um, departments have have been involved in, in addressing the actual incident and trying to find the perpetrator. We've been in contact with both town managers and how um, they're going to handle the incident within the communities. I know that both, uh, boards of select select boards, boards of selectmen, um, have, have held emergency meetings. Um, and we released the statement. I mean, statements get old, you know, we've said what we're going to say, and now we need to do the work. And I think that, as I mentioned earlier, we're working on some training so that if things happen again, we can respond appropriately. Um, but, we're, we're looking forward to getting back to the work of the committee because hopefully changing policies and putting different things in place will will help change minds and, you know, we'll, we'll be able to move forward and not have, you know, not have these, these attacks on, on different people.
0: And what did the committee consider when writing the questions?
5: I think first and foremost, we wanted to get across the idea that this isn't something that we will stand for. I think we wanted to get across the idea that this is something we're going to actively work against and to work towards um, a more inclusive environment where this doesn't happen anymore. I think that, you know, I think as, as leaders of the families and students that are in our community. I think above all, we want everyone to feel safe and that we have you know, an awareness that there are families that don't feel that way. Um, and I really think that that is at the heart of what we wanted to get across because we recognize that whether or not um, any individual member on the committee experiences these things that there are members of the committee who do, and there are members of the community that experience things that nothing that anyone on the committee experiences. And so I think that we really need to come together as a community. And I hope that the school committee can be leaders in that and helping people understand that this, this hate does exist here and it might be underground and it may not be as visible, um, you know, no one's storming school committee meetings, but it, it, it's there, it's there all the time and it's there for a variety of groups. And I think we need to address it in all ways. We all need to learn how to, to speak up when we see something. I think it's really easy to be a passive bystander. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's really easy to say we support you, but then, you know, to not call out things when you hear them in conversation with friends or with family members Um, and I think that learning to be really proactive in the things that we say when we hear, hear the speech and pointing it out is, is important. And I think it's important for everybody in our community to take a look at their role in, in that. Well, I mean, as, as I've said, I think that, I think that we have some improvement to do. I think that we will listen to the members of our committee that have, um, been the targets of these attacks and listen to their guidance and what they need and what they think would help in moving forward. I mean, I think that their voices should be at the center of the healing um, because I think that they have some wisdom to share. And I think that we need to listen to um, what they have experienced over their lifetimes, what their experience of these, you know, certainly it was different for um, for my, my black committee members to experience this than it was for me. Um, and so to really listen and model that listening as a committee so that the rest of the community can see how we can do it successfully. You know, I wish the same thing that the school committee is asking everyone to do, which is to, which is to assume, you know, best intentions of the people who are reacting right there was a lot of a lot of pushback against our responses and how could we not have stood up immediately well it's very hard to respond in a in a moment and that's why you know the committee is is pursuing some professional development and whatever to learn how to respond to hate speech but that's not something that you know you get you are you learn about in your, in your everyday life, unless you pursue that kind of training. So I think that it's really hard. It's hard to look back and, and watch those things. I mean, do I wish that I had had the perfect thing to say when it happened? Absolutely. I do. Um, but I do think that what's important is in the, the hours and days and everything that follows that, you know, the people who are targeted felt that felt that they were supported by the other committee members and, Um, And by their communities in general.
6: I definitely can't speak on behalf of the whole group and given that my role is really more um, closely connected to the policies and practices committee. um, I can speak certainly about the work that we're doing there and the policies and practices committee um, is sort of focused on the big picture and how to recruit um, people of color to the district how to work on our hiring practices so that they are more targeted to a diverse group of educators. Um, and we can, you know, really make those educators, I think, um, I would hope be attracted to the school, feel valued, um, and and see the place that they can have within our district. As a whole, the eCares group is doing a lot of different work that, you know, some of which is definitely behind the scenes that maybe, um, students especially can't necessarily see and I think those are the kinds of things like um for example this month we're having our first um it's called a critical friends group and so basically it's a conversation that's developed for um colleagues to have with each other and we use protocols which is basically like a list of rules within a conversation so that um we kind of stay on task and on target and they're non-judgment based conversations, but it's a safe place to come to, to be able to talk about something specific that happened or um, something specific you're concerned about or something that's happening within the school. And we can talk about it constructively um, as a group of colleagues and friends. So we're looking at different schools and how they handle um, what what kind of is in their student handbooks and how they handle um, discipline within the school and how can we Um, you know, maybe even change some of our policies around discipline within the school. Um, We're also looking at involving potentially student teachers from a variety of different schools to try to attract different kinds of people to come to our school and kind of develop a pipeline. And I will say, you know, that it's not that eCares is revolutionizing the way that we hire or recruit. I think that that is something that has been on um, central office's radar for a long time, and they have been working hard to do that. We're just kind of hoping to lend a helping hand and, um, you know, share a different perspective and help in any way that we can.
7: Really quickly, people from eCares came together to talk about what role we had and how we could certainly put. So putting out. De- Really the first step was developing um, a statement to the community, you know, what were we going to say? And then uh, offering a whole bunch of drop-ins for students um, during the day who wanted to sit and process and take time. And then also there was a meeting with Absej that was later that day and then, you know, again, this was pulled together pretty quickly. And then so sort of the the virtual assembly that Mr. Dory and Ms. Baker put together would then follow up among advisory and, you know, and this, the the first incident happened, you know, right before vacation. Um, So trying to pull that together in a thoughtful way and also in a virtual format where you're not able to have eyes on community members. So, you know, obviously, a a virtual assembly isn't enough. And also need, you know, definitely recognizing that we need to do something. So, um, you know, trying to have a number of things that that we did as a response, and also recognizing fully that, that this work is ongoing. And, you know, We're we're probably at the beginning stages more as a community. What what I would like is, um, and you know, I guess I'd be speaking more as an individual on this is to continue to have opportunities for open dialogue and to learn from each other and to um, have an environment where. We can we can hold each other with um, maybe opposing views and also have have a respectful exchange. So, you know, um, I think that on on kind of a um, larger level, it would be about you know, for myself, and um, I can say, is is continuing and under understanding how to be um, an anti-racist and how to um, impact some change on us on a small level. So, for the school, the, the the high school itself is to have students and faculty and staff and the whole community to be able to have respectful dialogue and open exchange of 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 understanding each other's beliefs cuz not everybody's going to have the same opinion on things but having that respect and understanding is just so important. I would hope that having a group of educators from all different and and also I you know want to really also recognize the administration and the superintendent and Dr. B- you know Dr. Bentley that sort of having This district doing some really hard work and looking at themselves as far as how to make sure that all students feel valued and that we can do better. So, yes, the eCare's committee is at the beginning stages, and the district has been involved with this work for for you know a number of years now. And so just as I said, we, we need to it's one of the most important things we're doing as a district. And we, even though we're tired, maybe because of the pandemic and lots of things, it's so important that we keep going. So, um, you know, I hope in some way we're making some, we'll be able to make some incremental change. And I think just having, again, that whole dialogue is, and bringing student voices in, and the fact that we're talking today, you know, that's i to me is is really a wonderful thing. So um so yeah, i have i have hope. Each individual, you know, ha, will have a particular response to something that happened and to listening and to what they have to say and then kind of meeting them where they are and asking some probing questions to perhaps think differently. Um so there's Humans, humans are complicated. And so that's why that this work is um, challenging and also um, meaningful at the same time. I would say that that also gives me hope that that more faculty, staff, community members will also recognize the importance of the work of having every student feel valued in this district. And in order to do that, we have to confront systemic racism and our hiring practices and goodness, there are so many things. And also the work is important. So we need to keep moving forward with it. And there are many, you know, like for example, all educators are now involved with um, doing a class called the seed program, which you may be hearing about, but learning really more about their own biases, how that works into their work as a as an educator. So it's every single faculty and staff member is involved with that work. Um, and that was actually you know, embedded into our contract as teachers, which is terrific. So it's, you know, eCare's again, I would say like if you think of again that umbrella, like we are a small spoke of what's happening, um, you know, with administration, with the district, with the students. The school serves, we serve the community, right? So we are one of the biggest employers in the community and we, are, we serve the community at large. So um, we can't operate it in a vacuum. So I think having you know, community buy-in, having all of the different stakeholders, having civil discourse and understanding why this work is important or at least having open conversations is crucial.
10: What do you think of the community's response to the incident? Are we doing enough?
8: Um, I, I was disappointed. Um, I understand that for a lot of people, especially white folks who haven't really experienced racism um, or seen it overtly, it can be tough to know how to respond. I understand that. But at the same time, watching the school committee meeting and just hearing silence, um, and then Evelyn kind of had to speak up for herself, and I, she's more than capable, but I don't think that it should have had to be like that. Um, and then I think our our larger conversations outside of just the school committee meeting didn't center around the victims of the attack, um, and I think that that was a shortcoming. I think that the second board of selection response was better, um, but I can't help but feel frustration because we continue to put out statements saying that we don't support racism here. And that's important because I think that a unified statement from people in power, quote unquote, um, is important. But it's also not enough because we keep putting out these statements and then things keep happening and it's just a little frustrating to watch the same things happen and then for us to act surprised when incidents happen after that. So I don't think it's enough, but I have some faith that we're working towards responding better and prevention.
10: Are you seeing any progress at AB?
8: Yeah, I mean, the Board of Selectmen and the School Committee both released explicit statements against racism. Um, I haven't seen that previously. I know, I think superintendents have released statements after incidents at school saying kind of, this is what happened, and we don't stand for that. But I think it's a bigger thing for for groups of people in leadership to be releasing statements saying that this isn't okay in our communities. I've also spent pretty big chunks of time in meetings discussing these issues. And so I, I think that, that that's important to at least start the conversation. Um, and it was heartwarming to hear that teachers were talking about the incidents in the school committee meetings in class. Um, I don't remember ever having class time devoted to that when I was in high school. Um, and so I do see progress and there's another part of me that says it's not fast enough um it we we keep subjecting bipoc to all of this again and again and again and although i'm really appreciative that we're making progress it's hard for me to feel like it's just not fast enough
2: i think The most important thing that ADL is doing is just talking about this because if you don't have conversations and trainings and all that stuff you're never gonna like be able to grow and be open-minded when it comes to these topics. I think one of the biggest things that ADL was doing was the teacher training which was super important because when it came to classrooms and teachers were talking about these incidents they know how to approach it and they know how to educate students and I think that's the most important.
11: Yeah, and then adding on to that, recently a couple members of ADL actually wrote um, a letter addressing the Census Act that took place and outlining kind of further steps and how the community should approach similar situations, and on top of that, we've talked to some of the English and History Department regarding the curriculum and how that could be tweaked to kind of better represent minorities, and um, in English, especially going beyond the white savior narrative and just being OK with opening up potentially uncomfortable discussion kind of surrounding race.
2: I would say that what they're doing, what they're trying to do is kind of like educate other people by sending us emails, um, which. I honestly think that they think that this is going to be effective if they just keep on sending us emails, but I think there needs to be workshops. Teachers need to start assigning, um, when racist incidents happen like these teachers need to be like spending a whole classroom talking about it, or at least assigning us um, a homework assignment to learn about you know, racism in this country and in our community. And I think if you just keep on sending us emails, no one's going to look at them and no one's going to read them because we're frustrated and we don't want an email because an email isn't going to fix racism in this community.
11: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, like, racism like really divides us. So we definitely need to not ignore these problems and really discuss them in our core classes
9: and dedicate like full class periods to really addressing these issues.